Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self meets the world and contributes to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Kim Christfort. Kim is the National Managing Director of the Deloitte Greenhouse Experience Team, which helps executives tackle tough business challenges through immersive, facilitated lab experiences and client experience IP, such as business chemistry. As part of this role, Kim leads U.S. Deloitte Greenhouse's permanent spaces designed to promote exploration and problem-solving away from business as usual. She is the author, with Suzanne Vickberg, of the new book, Business Chemistry, Practical Magic for Crafting Powerful Work Relationships. So welcome to the podcast, Kim. I'm delighted you're here. I am delighted to join you. Thank you. So I was fascinated to read your book, Business Chemistry, and uh, let's Talk a little bit about what is business chemistry and, and how did you come to create this tool this, uh, for, for working relationships? Yeah, so business chemistry is a way of recognizing differences in working style and then be able to do something practical with that knowledge. And I think you're probably aware of tons of different personality systems out there. And so it's not like we were coming up with this brand new idea. In fact, even the ancient Greeks thought that they should look at differences in personality. Really? Exactly. But, yeah. uh, but I, I, I get this question a lot, you know, why did you come up with this new system? And the reason is, if you think about how we work today, so often you are working with virtual teams, maybe you're not sitting next to them day in, day out, you're only on a conference call once in a while, maybe they don't even work for your company, they're contractors. And you really need to accelerate your ability to build empathy and understand how to interact effectively. Mm-hmm. And most of the systems that are out there are really meant to be driven by a test. You, you kind of do an introspective evaluation of yourself. Right. What we needed, though, was a way to observe other people, sometimes when you're not even physically present with them, and be able to develop a hypothesis for what they might want and need. And that's why we started looking into developing our own system. Ah, okay. So it's more of a, um, I guess, combination of inward and outward looking in terms of how you evaluate uh, how, what, where other people might fall in terms of the four types. That's, that's exactly it. Because everybody has their own style, and that's obviously important. Uh, you know, you've got to start with where you are. But most of the focus is on recognizing others. And once you have that information, thinking about ways that either you can flex your style or maybe you could just be a little bit more understanding of where they're coming from. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I was so happy to see one of the chapters in your book is uh, using business chemistry responsibly because I think what so happens with Myers-Briggs and even the DISC and other uh, evaluation methods, which are test-based, as you mentioned, they've there's always this tendency of boxing people in and you even go so far as to say you're kind of calling out pejorative pigeonholing, which I thought was 
was great that you were you were calling that out up front. Yeah, it's it's so easy to stuff people into categories because it's just a, a simplification of what's a very very complex thing. Uh, and so we were trying to strike a balance because there are tendencies that that tend to cluster in patterns, and that's what the four business chemistry types are. But nobody is going to be exactly that pattern. And so it is as important to look for the things that are different as it is to look for the things that are consistent with that pattern. And that's really why we, we say that warning. I mean, the, the honest truth, <laughs> which I'm going to confess, shh, you don't actually need to know the four types necessarily. <laughs> it's all about being observant and being really tuned into what somebody wants and needs. Right. Yeah, and listening and, and all of those good, you know, human skills. That <laughs> Precisely. Reminders to be human. Right, right. So, so you mentioned the four types of business chemistry. Can you share a little bit about each of the four types and, and how that might look to someone, uh, a colleague who's working with, with that person of that type? Yes. So there are, there are four types. Everybody is a mix of all four of them, but most people tend to be characterized by one or two of the types. So one of the types is called pioneer. They are all about opportunity. They love exploring possibilities, tend to not be constrained by uh, either facts or reality. Uh, they don't need all of the data. They're, they're very intuitive in the way that they make decisions, very quick to make decisions. At the opposite end of the spectrum from the pioneer is guardian. They're all about stability. And Stability, both in terms of something that they crave, but also something that they like to create. So they are the ones that will be paying attention to those details. They tend to be very process-oriented, very meticulous. There's a very distinct behavioral difference also that you see across that pioneer and guardian where the pioneers tend to be much more outward-oriented. So uh, some of the classic extroversion things that you hear about, that falls in that pioneer category, whereas the guardians tend to be more inwardly-oriented, not necessarily that very flamboyant, openly visible behavior that you would see in a pioneer. The other two dimensions you see are the drivers. Drivers are all about challenge. And that is both that they like a challenge, they like to solve problems, uh, really enjoy pattern recognition, but they also like to challenge. And so drivers are the types that will debate things, that are, or they're often very direct, and that can cause some tension with their opposite end of the spectrum, which is the integrators. And integrators are all about connection. They like to connect ideas, and they really like to connect people. They're the most empathic of the types, very diplomatic, uh, really like to have context and understand long-term implications of things. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you mentioned introverts and extroverts because you talk in the book a fair bit about how they, how that, what we feel is a kind of a familiar distinction, how that meshes with the, with the, the four types and business chemistry. Yeah, it, it was fascinating when we looked at the data because these patterns, uh, the four patterns I just described, didn't start from a hypothesis. We didn't say, oh, we think there's probably four different types of people. We actually took the characteristics that you can observe in a business setting and used math similar to what you use with uh, genetics to identify patterns in populations. And so the clusters of related characteristics are mathematically driven. Those are the patterns. And so what happened as we did that is we saw that there was a diagonal, essentially, that pioneers and guardians sort of 
clearly fell into more of the extroverted or introverted characteristics. Mm -hmm. But drivers and integrators actually had a diagonal split that, that one side of driver was more outward oriented, we call that commander, and the other side was more inward oriented, that we called the scientist. And with integrators, same thing, the more outward oriented was the teamer, and the more inward oriented is the dreamer. And what this means for, for practical purposes is that it's entirely possible that somebody be a combination of introversion and extroversion. You see that actually in the popular press all the time. It's called, you know, ambiverts. Sure. Uh, so for me, for instance, I am a primary pioneer, which is a more extroverted type. But my secondary is actually driver scientist, which is a more introverted type. So that, that mix, that secondary type is, it's important. It matters that you look at that dimension as well. It, it absolutely matters, and it, it matters in part because the things that you lean into, that you draw strength from, can be very context-driven, and or they can be very point in time. So, for instance, I may be very comfortable going to a networking event and socializing with a bunch of people that I don't know, but when it comes time to get work done, I may fall into my scientist patterns and I really need some quiet time away from everybody to really focus and I need that time to sort of regroup, re-energize. And so you do see both aspects coming into play depending on what application you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So can you share some examples of, of how this works in a work setting? Because we're, we're, you know, we don't necessarily get to choose our teams or the people that we work with. And so how do you bring business chemistry into the into the nitty-gritty, the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting when, when I think about even the writing of this book. I have a co-author who is my exact opposite. So where I'm the pioneer and driver, she's the guardian integrator. And so that process of us working together is really representative, I think, of how it can be in the workplace when you get it right. Because essentially, when you have opposites, that can sound like a tense, really conflict-oriented thing. It's opposing, by oppositional. You know, all those words do not sound like positive things in the workplace. Right. But, you know, if you respect and, and really gather together the strengths from both sides, they go from being oppositional things to being complementary things like puzzle pieces. And so it really is a nice way to shore up your own pitfalls, the things that you may not be good at, um, and at the same time take advantage of a whole different vantage point. So the first, the first practical application is simply not to avoid your opposites. Actually seek out and embrace those who are different from you because if you do, you actually get more than the sum of the parts. I think the second part of this, which is more complicated, goes to your point about you can't necessarily choose your teams and your teams are gonna have lots of different types on them. And so if you're pleasing one type, you might not be pleasing the other type. And how do you make that work? One of the fascinating things that not only our research shows, but other research um, demonstrates is that diversity is incredibly powerful. So having a mix of different styles on the team is great, but you need to be able to activate those styles. And so if you have diversity, but maybe let's say you only have a couple of guardians, and as I already said, they tend to be more introverted. So maybe they're not speaking up in meetings. That's the time where you need to take note and say, how can we give those guardians a role where they can really contribute the best of their abilities? Uh, so whether that's 
an official position on a team where they can play to their strengths or whether that's a process mechanism so everybody takes a turn speaking and sharing their point of view. Those are the kinds of things you consider. You also have the other problem, which is, okay, I have a team that doesn't have any diversity. What do I do now? Um, and in that case, you know, you either seek it elsewhere. So yes, you can't change your composition, but maybe you could solicit input from other people who have different perspectives. Or you ask people to flex. And so, for instance, you could say, let's say your team doesn't have any drivers. You could say to one of your people, listen, for this meeting, I'd really like you to play devil's advocate and argue a different of view and it's okay it's okay you can argue with me you know we're giving you permission to do that <laughs> right. it might not be your natural style but by doing that you're sort of injecting a bit of that driver perspective even if it doesn't exist resident on the team mm -hmm. yeah I, when i was reading the driver description i it was kind of interesting because drivers can come across very strongly but that doesn't mean they don't want to hear from people they're just expressing their opinion and they fully expect everyone else to do the same i think you're, you're exactly right, and that's, um, that's very hard for people who tend to be um, a little bit more um, tuned into body language, tone of voice, things like that, which is definitely a strong part of the integrators. That's the opposite end of the spectrum from the driver, because mm -hmm. the assumption could be, oh, well, they just bit my head off. That means they don't want to hear what I have to say, when in fact, that driver may just be really trying to get it, you know, tell me the facts, like, get to the point. I really want to understand this, and I want you to argue back. You know, I want you to bring up a, a point of view and a perspective on this. And, you know, the driver sees benefit in that back and forth as long as it's based on actual fact. Mm. Yeah, they just they want to hear the, the what's behind the, the concern or the issue or. Yeah, precisely. It can't just be, well, I feel like this is a good idea. No, no, no. <laughs> Tell me why. Tell me the actual why. I mean, what's the logic behind that answer? Great. Well, something that struck me, too, is that in the book you talk about how some people don't necessarily show every dimension that's in their business chemistry in a personal setting. And that surprised me a little because I, I used to work in corporate. Um, I've been self-employed for 22 years now. And one of the things I've, I've loved about it is the ability to be more authentic, uh, present, fully present in my work, but I also see the corporate business environment changing and moving more in that direction. So I was kind of surprised that, you know, are people still kind of separating their business and personal personas or what, what's really behind that observation? It's a great question and I think there's a mix from what we see. You know, a lot of people, and to your point, there's a big, a big movement right now towards more authenticity and really integrating your whole self. So who you are out of work and in work should be, should be close to the same. So many people are similar. Uh, in fact, I had, a, I had a funny conversation with my team the other day because I said, you know, it's so funny, I'm way more driver at home than I am at work. And my team just was total silence for a minute. And they said, are you kidding me? Do you know what you're like at work? <laughs> so apparently there's some self-awareness going on there as well. Um, but I do think there are, there are differences with some people because they, it's not necessarily a complete switch in style, but they dial things up or down in the workplace. So one of the, the executives I work with quite closely He's in a role which is a, a very high-profile role in a very conservative company, 
and there are certain expectations around her behavior. And so she tends to dial up her guardian in many of the public situations that she finds herself in at work because she's representing not only herself, but the company more broadly and the company culture, which itself has a bit of a personality to it. Right. You know, on the weekends, she feels like she doesn't have to do that. And so she's able to sort of calibrate down to where a more natural space may be, which is a little less process oriented, maybe a little less risk averse. Hmm. Well, well, that kind of brings me to a quest, the question about nature or nurture. Is this, is this type something that uh, pops up in, in different roles, different ages, genders? I, you've kind of addressed the, the role uh, question, but is it, is it something that we can't help in ourselves or are we, um, you suggest that there's ways we adjust, which didn't surprise me to hear that either. So. Yeah, it's a mix of both. I mean, the, the research that's been done on this is fascinating because there are definitely aspects of who you are and how you behave that are learned over time. And whether that's the role you're in or the culture that you're in or the re requirements of, you know, this time of your life, uh, new parents would be a good example of that. Right. You know, that can really influence the way you behave. But there is a natural uh, predilection. There is a natural uh, inclination with a lot of these things. I have twin boys and they are fraternal, not identical. And I've been tracking this very closely because they were born just around the same time I started the research on business <laughs> chemistry. They're, uh, they're nine and a half years old now. Oh, wow. And they have had a very distinct behavioral difference from the start that has been maintained over time. And that's, you know, obviously going to be tempered and changed as they have more, more experiences. They've definitely have distinct differences between them. There is also potentially some generational effects, you know, where you are at stage of life. Um, our research does show that there are differences between, let's say, you know, millennials and, and Gen Xers. There are differences based on your level of seniority in a company. What we don't know yet, though, and I'll tell you again in 10 years, so check, check back with me, is, is whether that, that will persist over time or, you know, is it truly a part of their generational culture or is it more, a, you know, a point in life that they outgrow, quote unquote. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I know some other evaluations you did was are the different roles more prevalent in different, are the different types more prevalent in different roles within the organization? And it's, it's kind of interesting to see the, you have some really great graphs. I'm a scientist by training, so I love seeing the, the bar graphs. So, uh, but you, you talk a bit about this it's differences between leaders, managers, and staff. Can you tell us a little bit about, do you see trends in terms of the different types or not? Yes, you do. And it's very interesting. If we think, for instance, about the C-suite, so our, our executives in that corner office, whether it's a chief financial officer or a chief executive officer, that pool of people does look different than your average business population. So the average business population is equally distributed across the four types, so approximately 25% of each. But when you look at the senior C-suite executives, you actually see a skewing where you see more pioneers and drivers than you would expect. So more pioneers overall and then drivers secondary. And that also changes by the size of the company. So the larger the company gets, you actually see that, that driver go up. Yeah. You also see differences based on function. 
So the CHRO, this, the Chief Human Resources Officer, is going to be a little higher on integrator, whereas the Chief Financial Officer may be higher on driver guardian. So there's definitely differences. I think the interesting question is why? And for that, there are some interesting hypotheses. One is that there's some self-selection at play. So a lot of these executive roles require people to be a little bit out in front, a little bit comfortable, more comfortable with ambiguity, um, very adaptable. That leads to that pioneer thing. It's sort of a natural strength area. Mm-hmm. Um, that does not mean that you cannot be a leader if you're not a pioneer or if you're not a pioneer driver because we do see all types in the C-suite. And in fact, if you think about the different leadership styles, you, there's a lot of benefit in having those other vantage points brought to bear to run an organization. Right. The other thing I think that's at play here is that these are not isolated leadership positions. They have an entire team around them. And so back to the previous point, I think it's okay if the executive is maybe skewed in one direction as long as they are surrounded by people who bring balance and working style. Yeah, isn't, isn't that always the case, even in, even in non-C-suite teams? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, since this podcast is about impact, I was particularly curious to see some things in the book around this topic, and I'd love to ask you about that. So when it comes to imp- making an impact, making a difference, what type is more likely to make that a priority? Well, it's an interesting question, and I might, I would actually think rephrasing it um, slightly, which is, you know, they, they will all want to make an impact, but how, how might that impact be different across the types? Because I think that's the fascinating thing. What, what an integrator considers to be impact might be different than what a driver does, for instance. So, sure. you know, a driver is going to be extremely goal-oriented, so they are going to be laser-focused on achieving something that is measurable ideally that can be won. <laughs> so in other words, it's, like, it's not everybody gets a trophy. There's, there's, you know, they're, they're very motivated by a clearly defined target that they can go after. An integrator may feel like impact is shifting employee satisfaction, making everybody feel like they're included and everybody's voice is heard. You know, they may feel like it is absolutely hitting that goal, but with a broader and less easily measured set of things that are factored into that process. And so for them, the journey to get there may be as important as the, as the getting there. With a pioneer, impact you know, is, is probably a lot of, let's try something new, let's do something different. So yes, we get things done, but did we break new ground? Was this, was this revolutionary in some way? Was this big? Was it, was it impactful in the sense that it made a dent in the universe, to, to borrow the expression? Right. Right. Um, and with guardians, impact may be, yeah, we got it done, but we got it done without disrupting something dramatically. We got it done while mitigating any risks or, or minimizing risks. And so I think that there's, there's aspects of this, which is that everybody has an equation and the way that they optimize is going to be different because they're prioritizing different variables 
in that optimization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm I'm particularly interested in uh, and, and have been working more and more with companies that want to have both social and environmental impact. So, B corps, triple bottom line companies, social enterprises. Have you ever looked at those kinds of companies as different from more perhaps more mainstream profit focused companies in terms of of uh, business chemistry? We haven't done that particular cut specifically, but what we have seen is that some of the uh, public sector or, or healthcare industries do tend to skew a little bit more integrator, which is interesting because there, there is, that's the one that really cares about the sort of connections between things and long-term implications and, and sort of that broader equation that I mentioned. It's not just about hitting a single metric. Right. And so it's, it's very possible that that's an aspect of this. I will say though that a lot of those trends could get support from all of the types and it's back to, to how do you use this practically you know a driver could see the benefit of thinking that way if they really understood the bottom line impact or if they understood that there was competitive advantage in going a certain direction you know pioneers really defining a new space and being on the forefront of that could make sense guardians if the risk of inaction outweighs the risk of of you know, departing from the status quo. Those, those are the things that could motivate other types to that way of thinking, even if that's not necessarily the, the natural zone they sit in. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it quite in that way. So, well, uh, to, to explore a little bit more how different combinations may work together, what are, are there particular combinations uh, where people work well together or is it really the, the blend of all four because I you gave you yourself and Suzanne as examples another one I heard you give in another interview is Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg very different people how how does how do the combinations work together and how do they uh, how do they have the most impact together yeah so the um if you have all four, that's sort of the, the ideal, ideal mix because you're getting each of the complementary pieces. When you don't have that, though, I do think the opposites uh, are very powerful, as, as we've mentioned. That's sort of the power couples. Uh, I love the, uh, the expression, the power couples, because it, it truly is sort of bring, bringing both to bear against a problem. Right. The other combos, though, are interesting. So partnering with your own type can be very powerful. It's just not something that's probably sustainable. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to naturally sink into your style and double down on it, you know, for me, for instance, if I, if I want to just come up with amazing ideas and just go brainstorm, you know, having another pioneer to do that is quite invigorating. If we actually want to then get any of those ideas done, we probably want to include a few more people. But in terms of advancing a very specific thing, um, that can work. I mean, same with, same with each of the types. I mean, two drivers taking a very analytical view of something and beating and beating up an idea together Two guardians really checking that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, you know, integrators really thinking about and, and developing stories of how something could unfold or what the implications to culture might be. So those same type combos are not necessarily a bad thing. It's just for a period of time and recognizing that it, it kind of is a limited vantage point on the world. The other, the other combination that we haven't mentioned is the neighbor combination. So if you think of business chemistry as, as a geometric layout, there's essentially a sphere of, of types and patterns. 
the pioneers and drivers are neighbors, the drivers and guardians are neighbors, the guardians and integrators are neighbors, and the integrators and pioneers are neighbors, which if you were picturing a, a circle, hopefully you could track, track along with that visual. Um, and you have things in common with your neighbors, and it's, it's a nice way to break out of your own thinking a little bit without necessarily going so far as to completely embrace your opposite. And so I, I like it, for instance, if I'm, if I'm trying to test out a new idea, partnering with a driver helps me to think through some of the logical implications, make sure that I'm telling the story in a very linear way um, that's going to be well received by people who don't necessarily want the crazy, you know, scatter plot jumping from point to point. And um, on the flip side, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking of how I want to get something to change in a company and I really want people to buy in, I might partner with an integrator. Mm -hmm. We have a lot in common on that side of the neighborhood as well, um, but they're going to bring that viewpoint about the way people will hear things and what it will take for them to trust and buy into the process. And so that's, that's another interesting combination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was as I was reading the book, I was thinking about I, I self-diagnosed myself as primarily a pioneer. So, being in a, a room with another pioneer is always thrilling because we both love ideas, and there's all this back and forth, and it's all very stimulating. But nobody's asking the question of, all right, how viable is this, and you know, what are the what are the resource implications, and all those things. I mean, we do get to that eventually, but it's so valuable to have people that are introducing that in the course of the interaction. How, how do you prevent people from having kind of a big negative reaction? Because uh, to take the pioneer example, I love ideas. I'm always optimistic that they're going to work out. And then we've got, for example, the guardian who's tends to be more exacting and, and skeptical of all ideas. They want to look at it from, from different angles. How do you, how do you prevent that? kind of a friction arising from those kinds of, you know, I guess, strong differences within business chemistry. Right. Part of it, I think, is language. So if, if I am, um, let's say that, that you're, you're a guardian and you're interacting with a pioneer, and the pioneer is just going off having all these crazy ideas, <laughs> it probably won't work well for you to say, no, that will never work. <laughs> and sort of rain on the pioneers parade. Pioneers hate that. But to be able to say, um, you know, can we think about some of the factors that that could make this successful? Right? How how might we how might we be able to to think of this and and position it more as a question versus a judgment? That that tends to help a lot. Um, and, and the flip side, you know, if you're a pioneer and you're trying to get stuff done and, and you feel like the, the guardian just isn't receptive, you know, telling them, I hear, you know, you're just, you're just not getting it. You're not willing to do anything. You know, you're, you're a stick in the mud. Uh, <laughs> forget it. Or, or what's more likely for the pioneer, just ignoring the guardian and going off and doing it anyway. Um, you know, an alternative to that uh, is to either position it as, you know, this is an alternative to risk. This is something that will actually you know, there, there's a real problem if we don't take action or involving them in, in solving for the problem. What would it take for this to be the best answer? Help, help me make this real. What would it take for us to be able to bring this to life? Hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a, that's a good way of approaching it. So is there any kind of downside to business chemistry? Is there anything that, that people should be aware of? 
I think back to your original point, this is not a let's stick people in a box and now we know exactly <laughs> who they are and nothing ever changes. I'm just going to go back to your original point. I think it's not a, you know, let's stick people in a box and, and nothing ever changes kind of situation. It, you know, this is something meant to heighten your awareness and give you additional perspective on how people may be thinking and what they need to be successful. And so I think that, that if you use it thoughtfully, where it's a tool to develop a hypothesis, that's really powerful. If instead you're using it as shorthand and just say, oh, that, that person's you know, a pioneer, so therefore they could never do X, or that person is a guardian, so therefore they could never do Y, that's, that's where you really get in trouble and you miss the whole value of the system. Mm, yeah. Well, Kim, I've, I've loved exploring business chemistry, and you yourself have had quite a, an amazing career. So I'd love to delve a little bit into uh, this question of, of impact as in more general terms, even outside of, of the work you're doing in business chemistry. Are you game? I'm game. <laughs> okay, great. So what are... What are the ways that are important to you to have impact? I mean, with Deloitte, you've been able to work with a wide range of companies, and you're involved in a, a greenhouse scenario within the company. Can you tell us a bit about how you see impact from the perspective of the work you're doing? Yeah, so I've always tried to think about impact in terms of what is the actual market need that I'm solving for and, and am I able to to address that need effectively? Does that thing that I'm doing satisfy me personally and let me really play to the strengths that I have so that, so that I'm bringing my best to that goal? And can I bring other people along in that journey? And I've been really fortunate in that most of my career, I've been able to to answer yes to those questions or I've been able to shift my role in a direction that lets me better say yes to those questions. Hmm. Is there, are there ways that you find that you really need to support yourself as you're doing this impactful work that, that you found over the years? I, I know there's a tendency within kind of high speed business environments to just work ridiculous hours and, and, uh, Self-care is, is not always a priority. So are there ways that you found that are, are particularly valuable to supporting yourself and having impact? Yeah, there's a couple things I, I do. One is I, I several years ago gave myself permission to not have a correct model for when to work, meaning that if I'm in the middle of a work day and I feel like I'm just not not in the zone, I'm not feeling it, I'm just tired and frustrated. I'll just stop everything if I can and you know go for a walk or go take a Pilates class or something. But then I'll work on maybe a Saturday morning before the family is up. And I try to not have any judgment about that. You know, I, I try to trust my my instincts for when my body and my brain are able to work and flow with that rather than having a set schedule for for when I need to work or how long I need to be working at any one time. I also try to surround myself by people that I respect and that have different approaches to work so that I'm able to, uh, to get their sounding board feedback on things. You know, hey, am I crazy for feeling like this is just too much or too little or should I consider this opportunity or how do you handle this? And I think just having people that you trust, even if they don't make the same decisions as you, 
but at least you you can get that vantage point. And it's actually interesting. It's kind of a business chemistry standpoint, right? That diverse perspective to, to have somebody else out there in the universe that can help you think about these things in a new way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've obviously partnered well with Suzanne, your co-author, to, to have that, even in that interaction. Absolutely. And, that, and that's been such a fascinating process. I mean, she, this is a typical difference between us. So she wrote down pretty much everything in every meeting we ever said, which we included some of that in the book. But, but our back and forths are just hilarious because the, the way that she processes and the things that she needs, you know, she needs much more structure. She needs to know things in advance. She likes things to be organized. I'm much more off the cuff, you know, let's, let's just try something new. Oh, of course we can turn 180 degrees. Why not? Uh, and so us, us not only, you know, learning to respect the other, but maybe even trying out the other styles was a, was a great learning journey. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm sure it had great applicability to what you're doing in the day to day with your clients as well. So, yeah. Is, uh, is there a way that your values come into play in on an ongoing basis in your work. I, I believe that impact is grounded in values that we really only have impact when we're uh, acting out of what we see as important. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I had a, I had an interesting crisis, personal crisis uh, after college because I was pre-med and I was convinced I was going to change lives being a doctor. Um, my, my parents were both doctors and I, I had this vision of you know, making, making the world a better place uh, with all this, this intense patient care. And my senior year, I'd already finished all of my, my interview uh, application stuff. I'd done the MCATs, I'd done everything. Wow. And I realized I wasn't sure I really wanted to be a doctor. Um, back to the, the point about I really wanted to play to my full strength. I just wasn't, I wasn't sure that it really truly tapped into everything that, that I felt I could do or was capable of. And so I took this dramatic turn and, and went into the business world. And there was a point in time where I, I felt guilty. You know, here I went from being somebody who was going to, you know, heal the, heal the world to basically making money. Uh, and it's one of the things I love about your your tagline, you know, the meaning and money. It, it took me a little while to figure out how to do that in business. I didn't want to be this sort of cutthroat greed person. Um, and so a lot of what I what I valued and value still is making a difference person by person. So how do you reconcile? Yes, this is this is definitely capitalism still, but you can do it in a way that makes lives better and, and really paying attention to the people with whom you work mm-hmm. and trying to nurture and develop them and, and create a better place for them. Even if I'm not, you know, healing disease, you know, being able to, to create a healthy environment where people can thrive. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think business has a lot of opportunity to do good and um, yeah, it's, it's up to each of us to find where that is. So I think that's really brave of you to have made that choice because uh, between the family history and the kind of societal, what do you mean you don't want to go to med school kind of thing that you chose your own path. I think that shows a lot of courage. Well, thank you. And I've, I've been very happy. I mean, you, you mentioned I'm running the greenhouse now. I mean, the greenhouse is, is a fascinating concept because we essentially take a lens of how do you combine strategy 
and human dynamics and create these interactive workshops that can help get executives to break through. And so it's really taking that science background that I had from my pre-med years, but combining it with my love of strategy, my love of theater, a lot of the other parts of me, um, and letting me do that on a scale that can really make an impact for many, many companies. Mm, yeah, that's great. Well, Kim, I, I so appreciate what you've shared so far, and, and I've been wrapping up these interviews with a quick rapid round of three questions around impact. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? The biggest thing I've learned about having impact is that impact is different for everyone. And so, you know, what you consider to be impactful is going to vary based on where you sit, what your context is, what your business chemistry is, and recognizing that impact also has multiple facets so the impact from my vantage point may be different than the impact from yours and just being thoughtful about that and really trying to make a difference that matters more broadly than, than just to myself. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Well, second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? I think had an open mind and try to see the positive in everything. I, I think we've all been in situations where things don't go the way we want or we maybe had a preconceived notion of, of what impact would be or what success would look like. And I think just being very open to redefining that uh, has been really, really helpful. Mm, that's great. Well, and the last question is, what's one piece of advice you give someone who's thinking, I'd like to have impact, I'd like to really... Um, make a difference in my own way, what would you say to them? Try a lot of things. I think that, that we, we often get stuck on a path because we've seen other people do it or it's sort of the only thing that, that we feel like we're ready to do or that we have the confidence to do. And I think that there, as I said before, there are so many different ways to make impact and there are ways that may be more uniquely suited to you that you haven't even discovered yet and you won't necessarily know until you try. So, so try a lot of things, be open and see where it takes you. Mm, that's great. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate how you've, with this whole business chemistry typing and the process of bringing the practical into combining it with the knowledge that you've gained by, by doing the research that you've done in this realm, you're really helping people find ways to work with each other one-on-one -on -one in teams um, in the business environment. So thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So they can check out uh, a URL, businesschemistry.deloitte.com. And that has all sorts of different information. It has contact information. It's got videos, uh, hopefully anything that people could want. <laughs> That's great. Well, and we'll have that website on the, uh, on the podcast page as well. So, well, thank you again, Kim. I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Thank you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. 
Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.